0: Hey, this is J.J. Matat. I'm the worship pastor at Jubilee, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope it ministers to your heart and allows God to speak right to you. If you would like to know more about our church, visit JFC.org. Enjoy the message. glad you're here this morning. Um, If you'd like to, off of our app, we put and print our notes there. The notes have fill in the blanks, and we just think that, um, you know, if you take notes, it helps you remember a little bit better. During this time, we quit printing them. It was one of the things we felt we could do to help try to make it a little bit safer for people who choose uh, to venture out and to be here. Um, But if you want to, you would go through our app and the notes are on there. If you um, just take them in a notebook, that's great. And if you learn best by listening, uh, that's wonderful too. So Chris mentioned that we start a new series. So there are four Sundays starting today before Christmas. And the Advent takes advantage of those four Sundays. And basically what it is, is um, you're you're spending time preparing your heart and your mind for the coming of the Lord. Now, initially, when this was done, it would have been with the idea of celebrating the birth of Jesus, and we still do that. But for those of us who are Christ followers and we're fully devoted into that, uh, for those of us who see Jesus as Lord, we know we're not waiting for the birth of Jesus, we're waiting for what? the return of Jesus. So we focused in this time, our hearts and our minds in the preparation for the return of the Lord. And why we're doing that is to build an anticipation for it. So let, let me let me do this real quickly and, and I'll kind of build this and then I'll, I'll teach. Um, there's a counselor that goes to our church that's, he's, he's very good at what he does, uh, very famous at what he does. And I've had a chance to grab a cup of coffee with him and just pick his brain. And it's it's kind of a free way to get counseling without knowing that, you know, it's like, uh, hey, let me throw out this person I know. We'll call him Jay. Uh, you don't get it? I'm Jay. Okay. So uh, just just talking to him and um, asked him this question one time. I just said, you know, when you're a kid, you remember when you, you would... Um, you know you're still in your parents house and when you would go to sleep just how good you would sleep right just the sleep of the innocent how many of you know what i'm talking about i said and then something happens when you know you're an adult and your kids sleep that way but you never sleep that way again and you're like spend all that time like why can't i sleep that way and then some of us try to get sleeping aids to help with those and you just can't ever sleep like that again and then i mentioned christmas to him one time i said and why is it that kids just have such a good time with Christmas, but all the magic of Christmas seems somehow to have been drained. How do I get that back? And the guy looked at me like, What is wrong with you? Uh, you know, is this for you or for Jay? Uh, oh, it's for Jay. Uh, poor guy's in trouble. This is, what, this is what he said. He said, um, he said Pastor, uh, he said, You know, when, when a person goes through puberty, their brain actually changes so that that innocence of childhood. He said, people try forever to get back to a place that's impossible to go to. And they spend ridiculous amounts of money and they'll chase things all over the world. And he said, that's not the way that it is. He said, what you need to do is to find joy in the place that you're at. And God has ways for us to do those things right there. And so then he used that scripture that said, unless you become like a little child, listen to this, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And he said, you know, the idea that we have to become children again, it's an impossibility. So what then is the scripture teaching us? It's teaching us to have a spirit like a child. And what can we do to anticipate and to build that that joy back in our life? That's what the advent is. The advent is spending the next four weeks in preparation for the most significant event that the earth has seen. I mean, the literal appearing of God in flesh and blood and then setting up as we move why he came in the first place to give his life for us, right? And so this is our opportunity. This is this is what we can do to kind of put that childlike faith back inside of us and find the joy in this season and in this time. So what I would like to do is just take a few minutes, talk about what the Advent is, and then I will teach on hope. And believe it or not, it's a shorter message, so don't worry, I'm not gonna try to sneak two in on you uh, today. Uh, by the way, on your seat, you should have found the communion elements, and we're going to take communion this morning. When it's done, you'll see how the things flow together. And Pastor Todd is going to lead us in communion this morning. So hang on to this. You'll need it in just a few minutes. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. If, um, if you're familiar with the Bible, you probably are familiar with this scripture, um, but maybe not in the way that I'm going to use it today. And, and actually, I'm going to show you the correct way to understand this scripture. So it begins this way. In the wilderness... This is Isaiah, in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert, a highway for our God, every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places, a plain or a smooth place and the glory of the Lord will then be revealed and all the people will see it together. Uh, This is the same scripture that was used for John the Baptist when he came as a herald for Jesus. Go into the wilderness and prepare the way for the Lord. John's job was to prepare the way for Jesus, right? We're familiar with that. But this scripture right here uh, makes this statement that in the wilderness, we're to prepare the way for the Lord. So most of the time, when I hear people pray this scripture, they pray things like this God, would you make a way in the wilderness? God, would you make a highway? where it's difficult. God, will you raise up the valley and will you lower the mountain? God, will you make the crooked place straight? Will you make the rough place smooth? And we're asking God to do the work that he tells us to do. And so what this really is and the way that you're supposed to understand this, um, we are the ones who prepare the way for God to be able to enter easily into our lives. See your heart as the wilderness, right? See your heart as the wilderness. So let's read it. In your heart, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in your heart a highway for God. And then it says every low place you need to raise up and every high place, low. Make it easy for God to have access to your life. What can you do over the next 28 days that it will allow God to make Christmas special to you? That will allow hope and joy and love and peace to flow in your life? And let me just ask the question, how many could use more hope, love, joy, and peace right now? So we're praying, God, do this for me. God, show up, God, I need these things in my life. And I wonder if God's like, hello, McFly, here's what I want you to do. Make it easy for me to do. I wa- Look, it's God's job to be God, but it's our job to make it easy for God to be God. Yeah, right. And so many times we sit back and we're like, God, you know where I live. If you wanna do this, show up and move everything out of the way and enter in. And I think what God is saying is I want to enter in move stuff out so I can do it easily. So what could we do in the next 28 days that would allow this to take place? That's what the Advent is about. So listen to this. The Advent is a way to prepare our hearts and minds for Christmas, not for, uh, you know, Santa Claus and not for Presence and not for Christmas parties. That, that's that's not what I mean. When I say to prepare our hearts and minds for Christmas, I'm talking about the birth of Jesus and if we see it correctly, the return of Jesus. Not that he's returning on December 25th, but it focuses our mind on the fact that how, how many of you know Jesus is coming again? Yes. And we've lost that hope. Good for you. Hey, thank you for being excited. We should be excited about it. We should not just go, yeah, he's coming back, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so so's my mother-in-law. I mean, God forbid, right? I've got a good mother-in-law, so I can't say that. But Jesus is coming back, and we should be excited about that. In fact, the Bible tells us that it's one of the it's called the blessed hope. The blessed hope. I'll show you in just a few minutes. So the Advent is simply a way to prepare our hearts and our minds for Christmas. The word advent in Latin, adventus, uh, literally means the arrival or the coming. So it it beckons, it hearkens, it talks to the coming of Jesus the first time, but we who are aware realize he's coming again for the second time. So one of the things that, uh, that, that Chris was talking about that we've prepared and we're giving away to our church for those who would like to try this, there's a wreath. Uh, the wreath is round, right? It's green and it represents two different things. You know, know, the green is to give us the idea of life. Colorado right now, we just, we flew back from Florida, I, I don't know, 10 days ago or something like that. Florida was so green and beautiful. And then there's Colorado right now. And I love this state and I've given my life to this state and I will finish my ministry in this state. And when I'm done, I will stay in this state. My roots are here, my family's here, my people are here. You're my people. Whether you wanna be or not, you're my people. So this is my state. So when I criticize how it looks this time of year, it's with full knowledge that in a few months it's gonna be the best place on the planet to be at. But right now, when you fly over Colorado, it's got one color, ugly. It is not a beautiful place right now. It is very brown. It is very bleak and it doesn't look like spring. It doesn't look like new birth. It doesn't. So we use a wreath, which is green because it looks like new birth and it's round, which is to represent a circle is eternal, right? It's it's, so we're focusing this idea that this is an eternal celebration. God is eternal, never ending. It's always the same. It's always good. And so you'll pick up the wreath and then in the wreath go candles. And there are uh, a total of five candles, three purple, one pink, one white. You'll light the first one today, it's a purple candle. Uh, purple is a representation throughout church history. Purple uh, represents repentance. So over the next three weeks in preparation, putting our hearts in the right place, our hearts and minds getting ready uh, for, the, for the coming of Jesus, right? The, we're, we're, we're getting ourselves in that place. We spend time recognizing our need for Jesus. It's just simply called, when you realize you need Jesus, that's repentance. Randy, that's what repentance is. We give repentance, you know, well, that's when I go down front and I cry my eyes, or that's when I feel sorry about my life. That's a form of repentance, but that's, repentance is when you recognize your need for God. That's what repentance is. So the first three candles, the first three weeks are purple representing uh, repentance. And then uh, in the fourth week, it's pink. And here's the thought through church history, pink has represented grace. It's represented mercy. So here's the thought. When we repent, God is always merciful to us. When we ask him to forgive us, he always forgives us. When we say, God, I need you. He always says, here I am. That's beautiful. And then the last candle, which you light on Christmas Eve, is a white candle in the middle representing, what do you think it represents? The answer is always Jesus. Remember, I taught you this before. If you wanna get the answer right, it's always just just blurt out Jesus and you'll always be right in church. You can't be wrong. So like, hey, what's our hope? What's the good news this week? Who's the white candle? You have a great teacher here at this church. He loves you and he prepares you so well. All right, so the first candle, if you're going to do this or at least be aware, of, the first candle, each candle has a meaning. The first candle, the meaning of the candle is hope. It's to focus our hearts and our minds on hope. And, and Chris has already, she, she did a beautiful job in the announcement, we all need hope right now. So if you're filling in the blank on the notes, here's the first one, let me talk about the big three the big three. Now, some of you are like, he's gonna talk about Chrysler, Ford, and GM this morning. They haven't been the big three for a long time. <laughs> Here's the big three. I bet you can figure them out in scripture. First Corinthians thirteen, thirteen. The apostle Paul is talking to a church in Corinth, which is a very metropolitan city. It's a huge city for its time. The people are well-educated. Uh, this is a neat church. And Paul is talking about spiritual gifts and he's talking about prophecy and he's talking about end times. And then right in the middle of that, he writes this verse, which normally is relegated in in most weddings, but look at how beautiful the words are. And now these three remain. So here's what he's teaching. When everything is over, when everything has had its day, had its time, all things are past, three things will be standing. When this election is finally over, three things will be standing. A hundred years from now, three things will still be standing. 10,000 years from now, three things will still be standing. When you're in eternity for eternity, these three things will still be standing. Faith, hope, and love. And then he brings out this beautiful point, And the greatest of the big three is love. Wow. So. The Advent focuses on faith, hope, and love, and each week we'll talk about one of those, but this week is hope, the importance of hope and the beauty of hope. So uh, one of the big three is hope. So let me ask this question, and, and maybe just think about this for a moment. What's the difference between faith and hope? Because most people sort of use them interchangeably with each other, and yet the Bible has two distinctives. It uses the word faith and it uses the word hope and it uses them in different contexts. So if I were to like, you know, if you're standing up here and you were about to teach the difference between faith and hope, how, what's the difference? Is it just semantics and they really aren't different or are they different from each other? So uh, the easiest way that I understand the difference between faith and hope is simply to understand it this way. Faith is like right now. It's active, it's present tense. It's now. So the Bible says that faith calls things that aren't as though they are right now we look at a situation it may not be going the way that we think it should be going or the way that we want it to be going and then we see it through the eyes heaven needs to come to earth so we're going to call out what heaven looks like in heaven there is no sickness so therefore we're going to pray for people who are sick because God's will he's a healer I'm going to say it one more time God's will he's a healer now does everybody get healed no because some ultimate healing is heaven Heaven's better than earth. Thank you one person on that right there. By the time I get done, you'll agree. So the difference between faith and hope is simply that faith is present tense, it's now. Uh, Of course, there's so much more to teach about faith, but I'm not teaching about faith today. I'm teaching about hope. So if faith is present tense, now, this moment, uh, what is hope? Hope kinda, it focuses on the future and anticipation. So here's how the two work together. When you have faith for something, you believe it, and it's based on the promises that God gave you. Faith is based on the promises that God gave you. We can have faith in a person, but the problem with me having faith in you is that you're a human just like me. So I realize even in best intentions, you could still have a different idea and you could still not be faithful. And what does that make you? A human. But when God says something, it is... How many of you know when I say it, and God says it is two different things? When God says, I promise, you can go to the bank on the promise. So faith is God promises right now. I believe it. Hope is the anticipation while we're waiting for that thing to happen. So let me give you an example of this. I mentioned coming back from Florida. Here's why we're in Florida. Uh, Pastor JJ and Kate took their children to Disney World a couple of weeks ago. Disney World is open right now. Florida is more normal than some other places. And so uh, we, yeah, don't get mad at me. Don't get upset about that. Uh, I have my opinion. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks for that right there. Yeah, yeah. I always have my opinion. Okay, so Kate and Jay go to Florida. And they, they're bringing the kids to Florida and they're going to Disney World. And they said, hey, John and Chris, do you want to go along with us? And I'm like, we would love to. Now, why would they invite their in-laws to go? Because we don't mind paying for stuff. <laughs> so, we're great, Roberta. We are great grandparents, man. We're going through this, and the kids are like, we need those $17 balloons. Oh, you need three of them, is what you need. Come on over here and pick which one you want. Oh, wait, this one lights up. That's an additional $10. Well, we need three of those too. Come on. And then they need necklaces that light up. And so, dude, we were the consummate Disney World grandparents, man. It was awesome. We had such a good time. So here's what Kate did that was so cool. Uh, in order to, like she tells the kids we're going to Disney world. They're so excited. Their parents, you know, we're going the kid, you know, the kids never say, Hey, what kind of guarantee can we get from you that we're going? Like the parents say it. And that settles the issue on the spot. They're kids. They're not like, well, but what about COVID mom and dad? How's that going to work in this world that we live in? All they know is we're going to Disney World. And so Katie, is, she's brilliant with this. She creates a little calendar and every day she gathers the three of them together and they cross off and they split whose day it is to cross off the day. And they begin to count down the days to Disney World. And they would, they would FaceTime me every day, Papa, 13 days, Papa, 10 days, Papa, nine days. And I would just be like, ah! and we just built the anticipate. So faith was, they knew we were going to Disney World. And hope was every day, they kept looking more and more for it. And the closer we got, the more excited those little hearts got. So that when we got off the airplane, boom, did we enjoyed, oh my gosh. And right now, what a time to find a little hope and joy in the world. And my little three little grandkids, Ezra, he's just, he's, he's a smart little boy. He's got a memory that just, he's five. And so, you know, you get on the ride, keep your arms and your hands inside the ride at all time, no flash photography and keep your mask on. Anybody not wearing their mask will be asked to leave the park. And so Ezra memorizes this and every place we go, he would ask if he could do the speech and he's just, and so please keep your hands and your arms in the car, no flash photography and keep your mask on at all time. Otherwise you'll leave the park, thank you. And everybody is laugh, 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 laugh. It was awesome, man. We had such a good time, just loved it, just so fun. And it's the perfect example. Now look, so, so that, that's the difference between, you can't ever go back to that, right? All we can do is appreciate that, but unless you become like a little child, this is what the Bible says, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. So how do you go back and become a child? You cannot, but can you have a childlike spirit? that focuses its mind and its heart on the anticipation of how good our God is so that we're actually excited about those things. Bree, does that make sense? That we're actually excited about God so that when we say Jesus is coming back, there should be a little excitement inside of us. I don't know when, and I don't even know how to mark a calendar down because Jesus said about that day and hour, nobody knows except the Father. But he did promise that he is coming back and I'm gonna read this to you and prove it because it's just really a super, super powerful. Scripture, John 14, one through three. This is where you should have faith and then hope as you anticipate it. Do not let your hearts be troubled. I'm gonna read that one more time. I think these are really important words, so here's what I want you to do. Clear everything out of your mind for just a moment. Put your device down, your pencil, pen. Pay attention. Read it with me. Do not let your hearts be troubled. One more time. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Look at me real quickly. Here's what we pray. God, keep my heart. Watch over my heart. God, there's just so many things to be fearful. And I don't know what tomorrow's going to be. And I don't know what's going to happen with my job. And I don't know what's going to happen in the United States. And here's Jesus's advice. You, you do not let your heart be troubled. So in some sense, we play a part in keeping our hearts from being troubled. Yes or no? Do you agree with that? It's not my words, this is this. Do not let your hearts be troubled, the words of Jesus. Make a choice about this. It's very easy to let your heart be troubled, isn't it? So how do you let your heart be troubled? Don't guard it. Read anything you want, listen to anything you want. Let everybody's opinion, listen to the pastor's opinion. I'm pretty centered and I'm a good guy. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And here's Jesus. You believe in God, believe also in me, and then look at this promise. My Father's house has many rooms in it. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. What a stinking promise, man. And, and, and here's what I know as a pastor, most of the time I use that scripture, it's at a funeral with a person who's passing from this life to the next one. And I'm making a promise to their loved ones that Jesus has said, look where he is, you will be. So you will see this person again. But why would we relegate this beautiful promise to only a funeral? Why wouldn't we read it every day knowing that Jesus in anticipation wants to come get you and you should be anticipating him coming to get his bride. Now, I I would love to take you into the Jewish understanding of the scripture. He's the bridegroom who, who has made a covenant with us. As the bridegroom, we're the bride, the church is his bride. He's made the covenant, those are his promises. And the Bible says, as soon as the young Jewish bridegroom gets engaged, he immediately goes to prepare the bridal chamber at the father's house in order to have a place to bring the bride. So when can the bridegroom go to get the bride? In Jewish tradition, only the father releases the bridegroom to go get the bride. He makes sure that the bridal chamber is prepared adequately so that the bride is well taken care of. Because if you left it up to the groom who wants to consummate his wedding, he'd throw up a sheet and said, we'll worry about everything else later. But let's get to the main thing. Do I need to go any further or like, so somebody has to say, no, you can't just have that. You've got to be able to take care of the bride. So build out the bridal chamber. So then Jesus takes the concept of Jewish understanding and puts it in, in my father's house are many rooms. And I go to prepare a place for you as the bridegroom looking to get my bride. If it were not so, do you think I would stand here and lie to you? Because where I am, I'm coming to get you so that you can be with me too. And then they ask him a little bit further in that, when are you coming? About that day and hour? No man knows except the Father in heaven because it's the Father's job to release the bridegroom to get the bride. And what does the bride do? In the meantime, oh, this is, so they get engaged over a cup of wine. Dude, this is like my goosebumps go right now. Listen to this. They get engaged over a cup of wine. And if she wants to marry him, all she has to do is pick up the cup and drink from it to say, yes, I accept the terms of the engagement. Then he immediately goes to get the chamber ready. And while she's waiting for him to come get her Whenever she gets lonely and whenever she begins to doubt and whenever she thinks, I wonder if he's good to his promise, she's supposed to take that same cup and drink from it to remind herself of the promise that he made to come and get her. So we call it communion or the Passover meal. And we remind ourselves, remember Jesus said, remember, remember me when you do this. Do you remember? Remember me when you do this. Does it seem to make a little more sense when we teach the whole theology of it? Remember me when you do this. So it's so powerful because we take this without the meaning and the understanding and it becomes nothing more than stale grape juice and a piece of bread that sticks in the back of your throat. And you're like, that cheap church, why don't they spend some more money on it? And you miss the point entirely. The bride reminds herself that he's working so hard to prepare a place for you, for you for you, for you, for you, for you, for me. And that as soon as he's done with the last piece, the father will say, go get her. And then the trumpets go to announce the bridegroom. And then the bride has made herself ready, the Bible says. So what are we doing during this time? We make ourselves ready. And how do we make ourselves ready? We anticipate the coming of the Lord. Does anybody hear what I'm saying right now? Quit playing church, man. This is all real. It's all gonna matter. There's no test at the end of it. It's Jesus at the end of it. What a chance today. Literally, that candle of hope is known as prophetic hope. All the prophecies announcing the coming of the Lord or the return of the Lord. We're to focus our mind and our heart on who Jesus is and what Jesus promised and what he's going to do with us. Here's the second fill in the blank if you want it. Uh, This one, I just love this scripture, man. This is Romans chapter five. Um, So only one scripture actually would work for this. The, The answer is hope never disappoints. Hope never. It's not hope sometimes disappoints, or hope generally disappoints, or hope always disappoints. And in fact, if, you're, if you feel disappointed today. So let's do this totally rhetorical right now. So I'm not supposed to move beyond where you see the light on the stage. They're filming this right now and people are watching. So if I go over here, it looks like I've disappeared, but you're so far away from me, I wanna come over here and talk to you. So the people at home, it's just a disembodied voice that's speaking right now. Okay, so. hope never disappoints. So that if we find ourselves disappointed in life, and this is rhetorical, don't don't respond to me, don't raise your hand, don't say anything, just here's the question, are you disappointed at all right now? Disappointed in our country? Disappointed in an election? Disappointed, has 2020 let you down? Was your hope coming out of 19 that 20 would be better? And is now, are you forward thinking, hoping that 21 is gonna be better than 20? So are you disappointed? And do you feel hopeful or do you feel like, here's the enemy's complete plan every time he has access to you, it's to steal your hope and to leave you devoid of feeling like there's a reason to even be excited. And for all sorts of reasons, and my point simply is this, it's not who you vote for, I could care less. Here's what I wanna to say to you. It, when you put your hope in less than eternal things, you'll always be disappointed. You will always be disappointed. So, so when we get this word that hope never disappoints, what kind of hope is he talking about? So let me read the entire scripture because I just love this scripture. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God
1: through our Lord Jesus
0: Christ. Ah. Can I read it one more time for my sake? Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in what? Hope of the glory of God. And then it goes on. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance." Yay! Nobody ever says amen when I read that part right there. Tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character produces? Hope. Now, hope does not disappoint. Let's do it again. Now, hope does not disappoint. One more time. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hope does not disappoint. But if you're sitting here today and you don't feel hopeful, is this scripture wrong or do you have the wrong kind of hope? So what's the difference between false hope and real hope? God is, Jesus is always the right answer, right? Okay. But let's be a little more specific this morning. What's the difference? between false hope and real hope, disappointment. How do you know which hope you have? My Bible says, real hope, never, say it with me, never. So if you find yourself disappointed, then you're hoping in the wrong thing, you have the wrong hope. And as believers in this room, it's okay to care about politics because those laws matter. As believers in this room, it's okay to be concerned about what's going on with a disease that's horrible, what's going on with people who are perishing, what's going on with mayors who say one thing and never mind, what's going on. (laughs) Hey, you like me now? All right. The difference between false hope and real hope is disappointment. So here's the question, and this one's okay to answer out loud. Have you ever been disappointed? So the cure for disappointment then is real hope. It's real hope. It's not condemnation, by the way. So God doesn't want you to feel bad about the fact that you've become disappointed. He wants to offer you real hope today. Titus. This is a little small book in the New Testament that is um, sort of hardly ever taught from, but uh, this, this, this is that blessed hope. So the advice that Titus gives is for believers to focus their mind on this important event. We're looking for the blessed hope. Let's say that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and savior, Jesus Christ. So in this one verse, uh, verse 13, Titus is just saying, as believers, the blessed hope we have is that we should be looking forward to the appearing of our Lord Jesus. Look at me, we have 28 days right now to not let this month just, how, how do we just get through this month and then just get into the next year? Stop it, stop it. The next 28 days could be the most important 28 days of your spiritual life if you'll do what I'm telling you to do right now. Focus your heart and your mind on who you are and who our God is and what our God has said and make the time count. Redeem this time. Come to the end of the year, not limping across the finish line, run across celebrating that Jesus is alive, man. Who are you, church? Come on, who are you? Here's where I'll finish the message. Why do we need to be people of hope? Why does it matter? Who cares, Pastor John? Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Look at this last scripture. May the God of, one more time, may the God of, just let me say this. God reveals himself throughout the Bible by different abilities and different names. Uh, he's, he's Jehovah Rapha, he's our healer. He, he, he's, he's our banner, he, he's, our, uh, he's our everything, right? Just different names for God. One of my favorite names for God, he's the God of hope. I mean, aren't you glad he's not the God of, I'm gonna get you, The God of judgment, the God of anger. He's the God of hope. And here's what hope does, and this is why it's important. May the God of hope, look at this, fill you with all joy and peace as you put your mind and your heart in him. You trust him. How many of you need more joy and more peace in your life right now? Don't raise your hand, you don't get it. How many of you need more joy and more peace in your life right now? Look, at the preacher, I, both hands are up. I'll take a double portion of joy and peace, man. I deal with enough problems all day long. not only do I have mine, but I have a lot of other people's and it's what I do. And I love what I do. And that's why, listen to me. And that's why I need more joy and more peace because I live in this world with you. I need more joy and I need more peace. And it comes through Hope. Hope is like an inroad to joy and peace. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace. So my question is, do you have hope? Hope comes in a relationship with Jesus, make no mistake about it. Real hope, not false hope, real hope comes in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't have that relationship, it's as simple, repentance is, recognizing your need for God, and then when we say God, Have mercy on me. God always says yes. And then he can fill your life with hope, which leads to joy and peace. And if you find yourself right now where that joy and peace has been stolen, what does it mean? It means that the enemy has skillfully found a way to get your heart and your mind on the wrong thing. And this is a time where we refocus on who Jesus is, what Jesus said, and what we know to be true.